0: been a fun journey if you 've been with us the last few weeks we 've been focusing on how we are going to interact with our neighbors and be the kind of people that God wants us to be in the relationships with those who we encounter in our circumstances of life if they live near us, work with us, go to school with us we, we run into them uh, in doing this and this caught my mind caught my eye because we were going through this series. I saw this post uh, a week or so ago from a woman whose grandmother's very ill, and she said her grandmother's very ill, and has a lot of health issues going on. There's a little boy who lives next door who visits her several times a day and models what neighboring is supposed to be. And this woman asked this little boy, why do you check on my grandma so much? And his answer was that he wants to make sure she wakes up from all of her naps. And I thought, that's, that's it, isn't it? We care enough for someone to know that they're okay. Uh, kind of today we're going to be focusing, we're going to shift a little bit next week to kind of how we actually help people to know Jesus. But before we get there, we have to talk about how we can interact with people and be a neighbor without that extra added project feel to our relationship. Whenever there's a project feel or an expected outcome, that gets in the way of being who we're supposed to be. When I do marital work with couples who are going through a marital crisis, oftentimes they have expected outcomes. Not all of them are bad. Some of them are good. We want our marriage to make it, or I want him to change. I want her to change. That's common. Uh, And what I ask couples to do is let's take those expected outcomes, regardless of good or bad, and let's just put those on the shelf for a little bit. Because even a really, really positive expected outcome, like wanting my marriage to work, can get in the way of doing the work I need to do today to be the kind of husband I need to be so that my marriage would work. And so all of those things can get in the way even if they're good. Or parenting is like that as well. If you're a parent, you want your children to be successful, you want them to learn, you want them to do well in school, you want them to go to college, you want them to have a nice job, maybe meet someone, get married, start a family, which are all okay desires, but when they become an expectation All of a sudden, when our child doesn't meet them, there's a bump and there's a rub because there's a little bit of a project feel. As we consider neighboring, that's where we're going to stop today. How can we enter into relationships with people who we do life with without that expectation that they're going to trust Jesus and they're going to become a Christian. After all, isn't that what has changed our lives? Jesus has entered into our lives, rescued us, redeemed us, given us hope, given us a message, and we're supposed to share that message with people. But sometimes that can get in the way of actually being the people that we're supposed to be, and it can have an ulterior motive, which rarely ever helps in relationships. So before we dive into some of the lessons for today, I want to tell you a little bit about life in our neighborhood in, I'll just call it the 1000 block of Couch Avenue in Kirkwood. We moved in about 20 years ago, and I remember the day we were moving into our home, it was nice out and the doors were open, and we're unpacking boxes, and this little boy just wanders in. And we started talking to him, and, and then there was a very frantic mom came running in after that. You can imagine, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't know. And, and that was our introduction to this family and kind of our introduction to this couple block area of Couch Avenue in Kirkwood. We got to know them. Our daughter had a friend, a girl the same age down the street. They became close friends. Um we started talking about our life and just doing life together. And since our daughter goes to church, she invited her friend to come to church. And so this little friend came to church, started coming to church with us, family vacations with us. We'd have their family over to our house for cookouts, New Year's Eve celebrations. The mom began coming to church. I don't even remember actually an ask or anything. She just kind of started coming to church with us and and really studying the Bible. And then we had a small group Bible study that met in our house, which have you ever stopped to wonder what our non-Christian neighbors think of our small group Bible studies? Every Tuesday night, eight cars just pull up in front of our house and something happens in there. I mean, it's probably kind of weird sometimes to think what goes on there, um, Talk to them about it. Maybe invite them. Let them know, hey, every Tuesday night, those cars that pull up, we get together and talk about life and study the Bible together because we want to know what God wants for us. So, so this mom, we invited her to our group. She started attending our small group, and we, we met in each other's homes. And so when it came time, we are meeting in, in their home. And one night there was a crisis with one of their children, and the first call was to our small group members. And these group members came together, were praying and helping and helping this family to move through that. The neighbors directly to our north—an elderly couple who we got to know—they were one of the founding families in this neighborhood in the 50s, and uh, he was uh, retired from a carpenter. Had been in World War II and liked to do his plan his reunions for his Coast Guard cutter team there and the men who served with him. And so, but he couldn't do anything with the computer. My daughter, even in like middle school, would go over and help him to get his mailing list ready for his uh, mailings to go out so they could get this Coast Guard Cutter reunion together with his World War II buddies. And when he would leave to go on hunting trips, my daughter would go and just stay there and stay with his wife. Uh, She became very ill, passed away. We walked them through that. I was able to officiate the funeral for her. I remember talking to him several times after that, and a really hard, strong man, I mean, kind enough, but kind of a man's man, didn't need help from anyone else. And I remember one evening we were sitting out in the backyard, I was talking to him a little bit, and a tear welled up in his eye, and he started talking to me about how much he missed his wife, and how hard it was to go through life without her. And I talked about how incredible that is, and what a testimony that is to the love that they had, and was able to share a little bit of the hope that God gives to us about life beyond this life. And he uh, ended up living for several years after she died, was in a car accident and his health began to go downhill and his memory was fading. And just last year, I got a call from his son who lived out of state who said that his his dad was failing. They needed to get some things in order for him as a state. And he was very skeptical and concerned, didn't know who to trust in his life, uh, but he wanted to talk to me. He wanted me to be there because he trusted us. And that was, we're neighbor, we're not family, we're neighbor. But just that connection without any without any expected outcome, without any agenda, doing that life with him, we were able to walk with him through that journey. And he passed away not long ago. We were able to uh, walk with the family and our whole neighborhood mourned and grieved, this kind of patriarch in in our neighborhood. Um, then there are plenty of real moments. I'm going to circle back to this later. So, this is an important. Real moments in life that we have to do when we're neighboring. I remember one new family moved in. They had young kids, and uh, it was springtime. Windows were open. And I remember her walking across the street when Sarah and I were out, and she was kind of concerned, and we were, what's the matter? And she said, well, I don't know if you heard last night, but we kind of got in a fight with our kids, and there was a lot of yelling, and we're like, well, that never happens in our house. And, and no, I, I said, I said, boy, if you've only heard some of the things that have come out of our house over the years. And um, I remember one uh, evening when our daughter, it was preteen years, and we were bumping into each other, and, and she took off out for one of her trips out because things got too hot in the house there and, and so I got my shoes on to go find her after the, the argument and one of my neighbors was out and all she said was she went down that way and so I got up and I walked down and right behind Robinson Elementary School which is a few blocks from us was always her hideout, that was where she'd go, the back door of Robinson Elementary School which became a community for us. So our kids went to school, we, we knew those people, they were our neighbors and that was her safe place where she would go and I'd go find her there and we'd talk through things. Uh, So real moments if we're going to do life together One of our neighbors uh, just recently was released from prison. He uh, was convicted of a white collar crime and spent three years in jail. And in his time when he was incarcerated, we would write letters, send devotional books, share with him the love of Jesus Christ. And and in his correspondence, was able to see how he had taken everything had been taken away from him: his career, his status, all of this stuff. But he was embracing Jesus in a way that he hadn't embraced him before. Uh, And that's a neighbor. We've had block parties. Uh, We've watched homes when people are away. We all have keys for homes. Uh, I still, I don't know for sure, but several years ago we went on a vacation and I remember we were having some problems with the valve for the water line coming into our house. And to this day, I do not know who put the new valve in our home. Someone while we were on vacation got into our house, went down the basement, and put a new valve in. I think it was one of our neighbors, but I, still, I asked around. Nobody owned it, but somebody while we were away put a new valve on the, on the water line coming into our home, uh, which we'll get to a little bit. It's serving like that that's really, really part of what we're supposed to be doing. No ulterior motive, just doing relationships. I enjoy doing handyman work. I'm a moderately good handyman, I guess. I've done some remodeling in homes, kitchens, um, helped with some sagging uh, floor joists in homes, put some siding on some homes, um, things like that. And people have done that for us. It's just life, it's serving, it's helping each other to grow. Uh, The result of that is we have a lot of relationships with people all up and down our street, all up and down our street, where we intersect with life, where we know stories of what's going on in their lives. They know stories about what's going on in our lives, and we've walked this journey together So the Old Testament, if we think about just the Old Testament concept of the people of God, there's a flavor in the Old Testament that the people of God, this covenant relationship that the people of Israel had with God and with one another gave a lot of obligations and a lot of responsibilities and opportunities to love and care for people within the community of faith. And there were some directives and opportunity to reflect that outside of the faith, but the flavor and tenor of the old testament is really we are insiders here and as insiders we are we are interacting with people outside in a certain way now when jesus came and set up the new testament church there's still an insider in that if we're trust if we're followers of jesus christ we're part of the church but that bifurcation that separation of How we respond to people inside the community of faith and how we respond to people outside of the community of faith is much more continuous. There's a lot more continuity than discontinuity in the New Testament. We're to love and serve people in the community of faith. We're to love and serve people outside of the community of faith. We're to pray for and care for and help meet the needs of one another in the community of faith. We're to pray for, care for, and help meet the needs of people outside of the community of faith as well. So today we're focusing on how to look at our neighbors, and I'll talk about neighbors as being whoever we're interacting with in our circumstances, whether it's people who live near us, go to school with us, work with us. And I want to look at one passage of Scripture briefly, John chapter 13, if you want to turn in your Bibles there, John 13. This is the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. I'm not going to do an exegesis of this whole passage. I'm really just going to pull one concept out of this passage that's going to carry us through the rest of today's talk. So John chapter 13, I'm going to read starting with verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. And then uh, interacts with Peter a little bit. Peter needs understanding about what, how much was washed and why we're washing and things like that. Jump down to verse 12. After washing their feet... He put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So verse three reminds us in a very powerful way what's been true throughout the public ministry of Jesus. Jesus had been sent from the Father, from eternity past, sent to this earth with this mission, with the authority and the power that have been demonstrated through signs and wonders and miracles to inaugurate God's kingdom here on this earth and to help us understand how to be right with God. Jesus, the most pivotal figure in all of human history, everything prior to Jesus pointed to him, everything after Jesus points back to him, um, truly the master teacher, the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy, the Lord of all the earth, the Son of God, One commentator said he had an unclouded perception at this moment of his relationship to the Father, of the commission that had been held for him and his approach to him. It possessed his very soul. So with all of that, with this incredible validation of Jesus' purpose and mission and authority and power, verse four begins with two words, so he, so he. That is, as a result of all of this authority and power flowing through him, he now has an opportunity to act in keeping with that power and authority and clear mission. His natural and most powerful expression of his purpose and power is not to make some huge proclamation or come out with both barrels blazing. Everyone now needs to get this. No. His most powerful expression of his purpose and power was to take off his cloak wrap it around his waist, pick up a towel, get some water, kneel down, and serve. That's what Jesus did because of his power and authority and the mission that he's given. That, in a nutshell, is what neighboring is, guys. We've been given this call. And yes, part of our mission is to make disciples. Part of our mission is to evangelize the world. We're not saying it's not. But the response, first and foremost, needs to be wrapping our cloak around us, picking up a towel, and serving. In Jesus' day, travelers walked a long way, dusty roads, and it was common for hosts to have maybe a servant who washed the feet of the travelers when they came in. Didn't happen this night. And Jesus waited. No one else around the table volunteered to do this was a great act of humility there's a rabbi in the third century who said was said to be so humble that he would do anything for others except relinquish his superior position because seating was seating was according to where you were at so i'll do anything for you but i'm not going to give up my spot jesus gave up his spot so i'm going to give up my spot and i'm going to serve that's what we're called to do Any one of the disciples would have undoubtedly been willing to wash Jesus' feet because he's the rabbi, he's the teacher. But he allowed himself in some kind of an admission of inferiority to serve those who he was building into. And then he called them to do the same. So the clear alternative to seeing our neighbors as a project, that expected outcome, is to serve them, to help them, to walk with them, to find out what their needs are and to interact with them in that way. Sometimes service requires a lot of preparation and forethought. We know that our neighbor is having health issues and needs a ride to the doctor, so we're going to do that. We know that this neighbor... um just lost their business, and they're having some financial issues and problems, and wow, we got this class at church called uh, Financial Peace University. Maybe they can help with that. Sometimes we're just doing planning. We're doing what neighbors do. Someone had to plan to fix that valve in my house when I was going on vacation. Sometimes it's just being available, and this is so huge for us. We travel at Mach 3 in our lives today, and rarely, if ever, are we available if God would choose to use us. I mean, some of us, if God wants to use us, we would say, all right, let me check my calendar. I think next Thursday at 3. I've got an opening, God, if you want to use me to serve someone. Uh, And that's the reality of our lives. But sometimes, I think availability is probably one of the key marks of discipleship in our world today in the church. Are we available if God chooses to call us for whatever the purpose is? Last month, I was flying to San Diego for a leadership workshop, and due to some weather issues, I couldn't, my direct flight was canceled, so I had to go to Chicago, Midway, and then to San Diego, so I got to Chicago, got on the plane, and it was a three and a half hour flight then, so I thought, oh, that's all right, I've got a project I need to work on, I'm doing a talk uh, on Christian service for Celebrate Recovery for one of the CR meetings that was coming up, and that's a big hallmark of Celebrate Recovery and the recovery process, how are we serving people, so I've got this talk I need to write on Christian service. So I get on the plane, and fortunately, I've got the aisle seat, and there's an empty seat, and there's a girl sitting in the seat by the window. She already had her headphones in when I got on, so I'm two thumbs up, I'm going to get a lot of work done. So I open my laptop, we start flying, and I'm tapping away at this talk about Christian service. Remember that, that's important in the story. So I'm talking about Christian service, and I'm writing this talk to help other people know why this is important. About half hour into the flight, the captain giving an announcement it's something like the Wi-Fi wasn't working real well. And, and he got done, and the girl, and I had pulled my headphone out to listen, and she pulled her headphone out and said, uh, earphone out, and I said, what was he saying? I said, well, he was just saying that the Wi-Fi's not working. And I started to put my earphone back in, and she said, oh, that's good because... I'm going back home to San Diego. I've been staying with my grandparents in New York uh, for the last couple of weeks, visiting them, and school starts tomorrow, so I was hoping we weren't going to be delayed to get in there because school's starting, and I love being with my grandparents because they have horses, and I love riding the horses, but I took the wrong kind of pants. I just brought, like, yoga pants. you are supposed to wear jeans or something, so I had to go to the store and get that. And I realized I'm sitting next to the chattiest 14-year-old girl on the planet. (laughs) And I'm not exaggerating. An hour and a half later... um, She's going, and t- I'm her life story, one of the reasons she liked the horses is because she wants to be a veterinarian, so she's hoping to get into veterinary school. Her older sister, who's really the problem child in the family, give me all her background, what's going on there, um, and, and, it's, and then I'm in this angst because I'm trying to write a talk on service. I'm trying to write a talk on how you care for people, and, <laughs> and then, you know, the spirit just said, close the laptop, and I closed the laptop, and for an hour and a half, I just Listened and served this chatty 14-year-old girl, and we had a cool conversation, and my talk ended up getting done. The question is, are we available? Are we available for whoever God puts in front of us or next to us to be who and what that person needs in our lives? David Wells, who's a theologian and author, writes about service, and I like what he says, Christian service is unique for three reasons. First, it's unique in its source. Its source is the redemption that I have in Christ. Jesus Christ has changed my life. That's the source of my service. Second, it's unique in its objective, which is to model the kind of servanthood that Jesus Christ modeled in John chapter 13. And third, it's unique in its character because it's motivated by God's holy love so that's, this is what makes it different, different when I stop or you stop as a follower of Christ and help someone whose car's broken down and someone who's not a follower of Christ stops and helps them. We might both do the same kind of assistance, but there's a motivation and a character of my help that I pray and hope reflects the love of Jesus Christ, whether it's spoken or not. If you're a Christian... Every conversation and every contact you have is a spiritual contact. You may not know what God is doing through even the simplest contacts. You might be be the person who your neighbor uh, moves away and they move to another city. And five years later, they trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they look back and they think, boy, you know what? Now that I know Jesus, I remember that caring neighbor I had back in St. Louis who didn't preach at me and didn't beat me over the head with the Bible, but I knew that they were Christians and they were the most caring, loving people. Don't think that that wasn't part of the journey. It was part of the journey of helping them So we need to do this individually. We need to do it as groups. If you're a part of a group, whether it's a Sunday morning group, a home small group, men's group, women's groups, how are are we doing at reaching out to our neighbors and just caring for people without an ulterior motive to help them and to love them, even as a church? uh, I'm going to show you a video now of a pastor in San Diego and what this church did to reach out to their neighbor without any ulterior motive. So give a listen to this pastor.
1: Everyone say, "What do you want me to do for you?" Everyone take a deep breath. Say, "How can I help you?" This is this is the this is the magical thing. This sounds so simple. You say, "I'm gonna count all the organizations." You know what? I'm gonna go walk to that one. I'm gonna go to that bar, and I'm gonna go ask the manager, "How can I help you?" It's like so simple, it's stupid. It's got to be more complicated than that. We've got to have a Bible study. We've got to walk around 20 times and pray and da-da-da-da-da and do incense and you speak in tongues or speak in toes or whatever you speak in. And then, no, you just, you just go and say, how can I help you? We went to the mayor of San Diego, and we said, Mr. Mayor, um, we want to we help you and offer you 100,000 hours of volunteer service. Now, you don't have to do 100,000. You can do five, 1,000. He said, well, what do you mean? Uh, how are you going to do that? And we had never counted 100,000 hours. We didn't really count, so I was like, I don't know how are we gonna? I was thinking in my head, how are we going to do this? I said, but we're going to do it. We're going to, you know, we got a lot of people, got a lot of ministries, blah blah blah. And he gave us a book. And he says, "Here's all the volunteer opportunities we have in San Diego that we cannot meet because of our budget." I said, "Really? Give us the book. You can go to your mayor and say, "How can I help you?" You can go to your fire chief, went to the fire chief and said, "Mr. Fire Chief, we want to help you. Can we refurbish paint, cut grass, whatever, fix stuff up, in all 47 fire stations in San Diego. Of course. But we don't want anything in return. Go to the police department. We're going to remodel the police department, headquarters, lobby. We're going to remodel the lounge to the 911 call, caller's lounge. You can just go say, how can I help you? Sounds very simple. Everyone, let's start over. Everyone say count. Say count. Say walk. Say ask. Here's why ask is so powerful, because Christians are so known for what they're telling people to do. You need to believe this, you need to be saved, you need to repent, you're a sinner. Ho, take all that out of your vocabulary for a minute and just say, how can I help you? What is your need? So often we're telling people what they need to do without even knowing who the people are, without even knowing what their needs are. So we started going around San Diego, counting, walking, and asking. There's one more word, I'll get to that in a minute. Count walking and asking. And it's so empowering because you're not asking, you don't need anything for you. It's all about them. And they scratch their head. They go, what's the the catch? Jesus. Say it with me. Jesus. (laughs) That's why I tell them, say it with me. Jesus. We don't want anything. We just want to bless you. That's it.
0: What if we lived our lives individually, in our homes, in our groups, in our ministries, in our church? We don't want anything. We just want to serve you. And in serving you, we want to introduce you and help you see whether it's through overt actions, whether it's through words, or whether it's just through service, that there's a God who sent a Savior to rescue us, and that's why we do what we do. Four years ago, I think it was, we had a group in our church, actually, who did those kinds of interviews in our community. And so, we actually have some data. If you're a group leader, or if you're in a group or a class, and you want to know more about this, and you think, wow, I'd like to know what what we've already done in conversations with some of our leaders. I mean, they're a little bit dated, but my assumption is probably some of the same issues are still alive today in Baldwin and Manchester Uh, from four years ago. At least we have the context. So give, give us a call in the outreach department here at our church, and we'll be glad to connect you with that. Or you can go have those conversations with the people nearest you. And so as a church, as groups, and as individuals, we need to be doing this The last thing I'm going to do today is just go through 10 principles. I had 10. Someone gave me another one at the end of the service, so now it's 11 at the end of first service. Principles of how to care for our neighbors as an authentic relationship and not as a project. Nothing magical about these. You might come up with better ones, but let's begin. Healthy relationships, even brief interactions, are mutually beneficial. Healthy relationships, even if it's a brief interaction, Can be mutually beneficial and can be helpful in building the relationship. Do not buy into the myth that anything important requires deep, 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 significant interaction. Sometimes great things happen in shallow conversations. When I was in San Diego for that meeting I alluded to earlier, stayed with some friends, and one of, the, the husband of this couple is a scientist at Scripps Oceanographic Institute in San Diego, and he took me on a tour of, one of this is one of the foremost, the world's foremost uh, institutes for studying what happens in, in the ocean. And he, he showed me, as he was taking me on this tour, all of the research equipment and the, the equipment that was just within the first hundred yards of the ocean. And he told me all the data that that brings in, that just with instruments, just within 100 yards of the shore, it's giving them information about what's going on miles and miles out into the ocean. I thought, wow, we need to think about that in, in our relationships too. Some of us, are, you know, it's got to be deep if it's going to make any difference. No, it's are we doing shallow well? Are we, are, do we have the right readings out, the right instruments to even have a shallow conversation with a neighbor? Help us know something about him or her. Help him know something about us. Second principle, begin with foundational interaction and learning about each other. It's really just be real. Be a friend. Be, get to know this person like you would get to know anyone else. There's a, an ebook online you could do a search for if you'd like called The Art of Neighboring. And in The Art of Neighboring, they describe moving from a stranger to an acquaintance and from an acquaintance to a relationship. That's the goal. And in order to do that, you need to get to know one another. You need conversations that turn toward important matters in a natural way. I don't have to. Wait for my neighbor to tell me he likes fishing. I see the boat in his driveway. I see him get ready every weekend when he goes out and goes fishing. I don't have to wonder about that. Um, we just talk, and then I mention it, and then he tells me about fishing. My neighbors see us leave for church on Sunday. They, they know I'm a pastor. We talk about things because it's natural. It's not something we have to contrive or we have to make a project. It's just something that happens as we grow together. Be a good listener. a Good principle in all of our relationships, but in this one for our neighbors. Other than God, the person who you're talking to, that neighbor knows more about him or herself than anyone else on this planet. Other than God, he or she knows more about him or herself than anyone else on the planet. So the notion that I have what it takes to fix him or to get him to where he needs to be is pretty ludicrous, isn't it? The Holy Spirit does a much better job than I do or you do of helping to connect where that person is with where God wants them to be. So we're listening. We're listening and we're asking questions and we're building an authentic relationship with them. Next, love wants what is best for your neighbor. Love wants what is best for your neighbor, not what is best for me. Not not what is best for my church. Not what is best for my reputation as a Christian. So the next time someone in church asks me, when was the last time I shared my faith, I can say that. That's about me. That's not about them. Love wants what's best for them. And if that's a safe relationship where they can be on a journey and you're just walking with them on that, that's wonderful. Enter into the messiness of life. One of the reasons why I think our neighbors are a little skeptical of us as Christians is because we, we can put masks on and play games, and I know everyone can do that, but we of all people should, should be comfortable taking the masks off because we know we all need them because of our messy lives, but we, we found freedom in Jesus Christ. And so when we enter into the messiness of life with other people, we can, we can understand what that is. That's happened on my, na- my neighborhood, in our street. Um, we've, we've entered in through some really hard things with one another on our street. When when we ask about someone's child, how they're doing now as a young adult, it's because we walked with them through some really hard times in high school or in college. Because we've been real with each other, that life's messy and it's broken and we get hurt and we need each other in relationships. Be visible. It's too easy to do life on the back deck. Close the garage door as soon as you pull in and not interact We have to be visible with people if we're going to build relationships and we're going to do life with them. Pray for your neighbors. Just start at one end of the street and just each night as you're having dinner and praying before a meal or whenever you do your prayers, pray for your neighbors. Pray that God would give them, show them his love. Pray that God would bring opportunity for you to care for them and to serve them. Pray for their their real concrete physical needs that they have in their lives. Here's one. Single people are neighbors too. Single people are neighbors too. And I wanted to put that in there because we as a church, and this is in general, tend to do a really, really poor job of including single people. Uh, Almost everything is about marriage. Almost everything is about family. And we can leave single people out, and that's not okay. Single people are neighbors too, whether it's the 30-something young man or young woman who may or may not really want to spend their lifetime with a partner and they're, they're wondering why they don't have one yet. Or if it's the 80-year-old widow or widower who just needs some companionship or the 40- or 50-year-old divorced person trying to get their feet under them. They're neighbors too. We need to be in their lives. We need to invite them into our lives. And they have a place here at First Free and we need to make sure of that. Take time to listen and learn and understand from neighbors who do not believe what you believe. If you want your neighbors to actually consider the truth claims of the gospel, and you're not willing to consider their truth claims, then we're just doing project stuff. So if you talk to a neighbor and they have views on anything, theology, anything social, uh, sexuality, whatever it is, maybe another religion, and, and they're telling you about that, what if you would ask them to help you understand more? Do you have a book I can read on that? Because I, I, see, I see your position from outside, and I have all kinds of questions. I'd really like to know more. And, and actually do it because you might learn something. I mean, you really, we really might learn something from people that believe differently than us. Um, and, and, and just listen and learn. 99 times out of 100, although it's not the objective, it's not the expected outcome, but usually, then they'll say, Well, thanks for reading that and talking about that. I appreciate you taking the time to really want to know that. Do you have something I can read? tell me more about what and then you're entering into an authentic relationship which is what we do to build real real relationships where the truth claims of christ stand on their own the truth claims of christ are not dependent upon you or me it's the truth claims of christ and scripture and the holy spirit applying them to the to the people's lives that's what it's all about then celebrate your neighbors have a block party um Do fun stuff. On our little street, we have the taste of Couch Avenue every once in a while, where we tell everybody, pull your grill or your smoker out to your front yard and put your best stuff on. And then we walk up and down the street and we eat together and we end up in someone's driveway having an evening party together. Or uh, a year or so ago, we put our projector out in the front yard and put a sheet on the front of the house and just went up and down the street and said, hey, we're having an outdoor movie tonight. Who wants to come? We end up with 15 people in our front yard watching a movie in the evening. One of our neighbors still asks, when are we going to do the next outdoor movie night? i like, well, it wasn't planned. We just did it. Uh, but we need to do those kinds of things. Um, celebrate what's going on in your neighbor's lives. A few weeks ago, I was walking with, walked into a, the house that's being built right next to us. This is a couple that's moving from Illinois to our neighborhood, and walked in. And the first thing that, that this guy said is, how's your daughter doing? It hasn't he moved in yet. And our daughter had a car accident in May, and this guy actually had been invited to a block party that we missed because of some of the medical stuff going on. Uh, and in that, they just shared, hey, Alyssa had, a, had an accident and, and things like that. So, he already has been indoctrinated. It's like we tested him out to see before he even moved in that we care for each other and we talk to each other. New Year's Eve day was a pretty nice day. I'm sorry, Christmas Eve day was a pretty nice day last year. And I was out in the front yard doing some work, getting earlier in the day. And one of my neighbors, who's a single guy who lives across the street, came over. And he, he just asked me, he said, do you guys have Christmas Eve service tonight at your church? I didn't even have to invite him. I mean, we built a great relationship. We've had a lot of good talks about a lot of different things. He just came and said, do you have Christmas Eve service at your church tonight? I said, yeah, we have Christmas Eve service. You want to ride along with us? He said, no, but you may see me there. And right here at our Christmas Eve service, sitting over there somewhere, were me and my wife and my neighbor. And I didn't even have to invite him because he wasn't a project. He wasn't a project. It's just a relationship. And in that relationship... Some of the things came together, and God did something that I couldn't do. That's what today's talk is about. Now, some of you are saying, and then what's next? Stop. Just just leave that right there. We're not going to go with what's next. Next couple weeks, we're going to talk about how to engage in spiritual conversations with people. But if we don't get this, then it will become a project, and we're just trying to get them to do something for us. So what I want to do right now is I'm going to pray— And I'm going to ask God to give us all opportunity this week to engage with a neighbor just to serve and just to build relationship. Not with any expected outcome, not as a project. Will you pray with me as I do that? Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be in your family. And we have neighbors, and not everyone who's a neighbor of ours is lost, but some are, and those who are, we do want them to know you but we so do not want to make them a project and deprive them of their dignity and worth and value as someone created in your image. So help us to approach the neighbors that we have this week with an availability that if you put an opportunity out there, whether it's a five-minute conversation or a whole dinner or we miss a meeting because we're spending time with them in a crisis, that we will be able to do it because you served us and because we have a Savior who modeled for us what service is about. And we pray through those interactions that your Holy Spirit will be at work and do what you do so much better than we do. Let people know that there's a God who loves them and there's a place for them that they can belong. We want to give you all the credit in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming. It's been great to be here together today. Come back next week. We're going to continue this. There'll be people here praying for you. Uh, If you want to come up to the front and talk to someone on the prayer team, go out and do some neighboring this week.